Welcome to episode 274 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. And if you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings help new people find this show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 274 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is theater artist and social media marketer Lauren Allen. How have you been this pandemic? Since the last time we talked. Um since the last time we talked, it's been a long time. Um, it has been a long time. But you know, it's been pretty terrible. Yeah. Generally. Um, some good things, but but a lot of a lot of really bad things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been definitely having a lot of mental health struggles and um and I was actually in Saskatchewan for the first um little part of the pandemic so that was also really difficult to just be kind of unsure of where I was going to be living Mm. and and then I had to move and moving in a pandemic is stressful and yeah just Mm -hmm. a bunch of bunch of stuff going on all the time I don't I don't seem to um to get to know peace in my life anytime I think that something is sorted out it's like here's another thing you got to deal with that's like a Mm. pretty big deal I'm like ugh, why yeah. <laughs> How have you been? I've been all right. I've been all right. I mean, moving is mm. like you say, um, I'm hiring movers though. So I don't care. Like, but isn't that kind of more stressful because of the pandemic? Because then you have to have like people who are in your space. Um, I read up on the company that I hired and they're, they were, they've been written up several times about their protocols. And I've used them to move in the past, so I know they're good movers. Um, essentially, um, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal because they're not going to be, spe- they're not going to be lingering. Yeah. And they sanitize and they mask and, and all of that stuff. And if they don't, they're not working. That's good. Good to you know. know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not messing around with this thing. Yep. That's that's the best decision. I'm also not <laughs> messing yeah. around. And I'm not I'm not really concerned about getting sick. Like I never really think about myself as like, oh, what if I die from getting COVID-19? But I think mm. about what if I pass it to anybody and what if I um contribute to a, a, a lackadaisical attitude yeah. for the people around me. It's much more about 
that than actually worrying about my mortality or my physical well-being. I worry about both. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's fair. And you, know, you probably like, should. It's probably as smart. A, yeah, as, as somebody who, who has asthma, I don't want this lung thing hitting me. Yeah, absolutely. But also I know people who have had it and they're still feeling a lot of the lingering effects, the brain fog and 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 and, and uh, motor issues and things like that. So hmm. I don't want that stuff either. Yeah, no, I have uh, a same thing. A, a friend who's about my age who um, still has a lot of lingering um, brain issues. So mm-hmm. that's very concerning. It's just and like I hate the unknown. You know, that's yeah. Um, as someone who struggles with anxiety, that's the thing that you hate the most, right? So I hate not knowing things. And like if I knew that COVID nineteen was like going to attack my lungs and that would be the worst of it and it would probably kill me i'd be like yeah all right but because i'm like what else does it do that's the scary part of the virus not that it's not scary but like scares me more i guess it's all scary it's all scary um as far as as far as the arts go have you had the chance to to be creative to be artistic what's what's been happening in that realm for you i mean um Yes and no. So I, uh, it's also weird because it's like a whole year has passed, right? So have I been more creative this past year than I would have been in any other year? It's really hard for me to to measure or gauge that. Certainly I haven't gone out to anything. Um, But I've still been doing self-tape auditions, which is weird Mm. um, because I think people are used to now like, you have to have someone uh, like call in on Skype to like be your reader for something. Yeah. And that's really odd. I did. Um, I did a self tape where I was asked to play both sides of a scene. Oh. So I just did like, <laughs> I, I tried to time it out so I could do a split screen audition with myself. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. Uh, I worked on uh, a 10 minute play festival last spring um Mm -hmm. mostly in an administrative capacity just kind of doing support stuff but but it was really important because it was in may so it was right at the beginning of the like digital theater making stuff Mm -hmm. and there was lots of stuff that was unknown and because we streamed live to youtube i was like hey i can you know monitor the chat and do these things and i uh, was kind of able to anticipate some of those digital Mm -hmm. headaches um so that was good uh i've started a bunch of projects but i haven't been able to finish any of them (laughs) yeah that's a problem like and and i think i think a lot of us feel that like you can get an idea you're like ah finally an idea but it's hard to sustain it because i think one of the things that's missing for me is that whole like being able to feed the creativity by being by being able to talk about it with other creative people yeah being able to 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 hear their ideas and their feedback and just hang around and that sort of stuff and that's missing entirely yeah and there's so i find the one of the big struggles of this pandemic is not being able to plan things because the future is so unclear at any given yeah. time so if i want to give myself a timeline for a creative project um it's much easier to just imagine doing it all digitally because then i don't have to worry about public health orders yeah but if i was someone who was like you know, I want to do a show that has an intimate audience of maybe 20 people. You go, well, in two months, I might not be allowed to have that. Yeah. Like, who knows what the what the restrictions will be. So I think that's a huge mm-hmm. problem for people as well. Um, but 
and and I started a project with two of my friends where we were going to record um, some music together for to do um, to do a musical, but like we would do it in pieces so that we wouldn't have to pay for any of the <laughs> licensing fees, <laughs> and, and, and then people could just watch the individual videos. Um, but we didn't end up finishing anything because it, it's it requires so much more sustained energy on your own end especially with Mm -hmm. music because you can't record that together you have to do it separately there's no energy flow between anybody it's the Mm -hmm. accompanist records the accompaniment you record your part of the song and then we were going to try and do a thing where like i would record my half of the duet the other person would record his half and then we would switch and record with the other person's recording and then Mm. just see which one synced up the best but like that didn't happen because that's really hard to motivate yourself to sing along to recordings all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you, an audience response is is or any kind of response, like working with somebody, that's so important to the whole the whole process. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's been really difficult. I'm trying to stay creative, and I'm doing little things. Um, I've started making little cards for myself because um, hmm. I saw. At the point in the pandemic when I was doing a ton of online shopping, I saw this like pack of cards that was like happy quotes or so, I don't know what it was called, but it you would just kind of pick a card and it would say something inspirational and that would be your message for the day. Right. And I was like, that's cool. I love that. But um, I couldn't be, because this company was in the States. They were like, oh, all of our packages to Canada are temporary, de- temporarily delayed. Right. We're not shipping there right now. And I was like, oh, I wanted this pack of cards and now I can't order it and I'm upset. Um, so then I just bought some um, flashcards at Staples and uh, mm-hmm. and started making my own. So that's been a different kind of creative project, but it's been helpful for me to have these kinds of the, these things that I can look at in my day. Um, mm-hmm. Yesterday's said, um, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I and that was really helpful for me in that yesterday to be like, right, everything's a journey and it's a process. And I I still have things that I can be proud of and have accomplished in this time, even though I might be struggling with some other things. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because you're talking about the amount of uh, concentration that like digital stuff takes, like a video conference or anything like that takes. And I kind of. I've been thinking about, and I think I've said this for quite a while since this started, like I get, you know, we, we, we need, have a need to perform. And so that's why at the, at the start of this pandemic, it was like, I'm doing a show on zoom. I'm doing a show on zoom and all this stuff. But the, the base problem with like producing a show in that way is that all the people who are potentially our audience are spending every day in zoom meetings. Yeah. And it is difficult to get someone to see, ah, now it is a creative space. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a relief. It's it's just more of the same. It's not an escape from life. It's just a continuation of every day. There's something about when you, when you go into a theater and you make that transition from the real world into the, into the theater space, you're in a, a new place and then the lights go down and something new happens. And now it's just like, the organizer is starting the meeting. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I was just going to talk about the the lights going down moment. Like, I, you know, I have dimmer switches in my house. I should just dim the lights for myself. <laughs> just to make you me feel some, You can get somebody to dim them for you. Well, I can't, I don't have anybody in my bubble currently. So oh, no. I know it sucks, but um, that's a recent development. I'm going to mm. have, uh, uh, hopefully I'm going to incorporate somebody just it's it's hard to determine who because i live by myself so i i'm only yeah. gonna bubble up with with one other person or one yeah. other household and uh i'm just like who who gets the honor of being my one person who's yeah. the person i want to hang out with for the next couple of months exclusively but you know the other problem is that you have to make sure that that person is clear on the concept of bubble oh god when i so before I lived alone during the pandemic, I w- was living with two uh, two other women and my partner also lived with two other people. And it was such a huge negotiation. And even um, after, uh, after I moved out, I found myself having to explain things to my partner like, no, that counts as breaking the bubble. Like, like if you spend an hour with somebody inside, you're you're not in the bubble anymore. (laughs) Yeah. uh, um, uh, Like he was not at work at this time. He was just socializing with somebody in their house. And I was like, yeah, you're not in the bubble anymore. That's not how that works. No. So it's, and I think it's harder for people. Like I have been working from home this whole time, Mm -hmm. uh, working as much as I can. I've only been able to get part-time gigs and random, completely unsustainable things. Um, but I've been working from home, except for three days. I went and worked on a film set for three days. But my partner was working in film every day. And I think just the fact that he was going out every day and seeing mm. people every day made him think that like certain things weren't a big deal. And it, he didn't yeah. have that awareness, or maybe it's paranoia, but he didn't have that because it's normalized for him that like he goes out and sees people every day. Yeah. So why wouldn't he be able to see his friend or whatever? Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's where the things break down. You know, you have to have that conversation to make sure that everybody understands what the bubble means. Um, we, I had, we had a scare at my, at my day job where we're going, some people, few people were going in. They were like no more than like maybe three people in this big office at a time. And then a couple of other people came in and somebody had a meeting, like used a meeting room. Mm-hmm. And we were all like, yeah, we're wearing our masks outside, but as long as we stay six feet apart, we can sit in this room with door shut. Well, mm-hmm. one guy came in, he had COVID, he gave it to somebody else. Yeah. And then the rest of us had, like, we all, the, the, everybody had to stay at home, the whole thing, and like the testing and all that stuff. So now then we had to get really strict about it. And, and uh, you know, and we should have been strict about it in the first place, but, you know, you can get complacent really easily. Yeah, because it's invisible, right? So you you just don't know where it is or what it's doing at any given time and it's it's and it's really hard to sustain the amount of attention that is required. Mm-hmm. Um especially if you do have to go into work. Yeah. At a certain point you're like I'm thirsty, I'm just going to take off my mask and have a sip of water or I'm hungry, I'm just going to shove this granola bar into my face as quickly as possible. Um, yeah. But, you know, and then you touch your mouth and you you touch a doorknob um, or 
like the first time I really thought about this was when I was on a plane back to Toronto from Saskatchewan. It was the first flight that I was able to get out, which was like two months after <laughs> two months, two months after I'd been hanging out in Saskatchewan with no mm. plans. Um, and I remember I had to, I had to go to the bathroom on the plane. So I got up to, to go. And then I was like, oh, I'm touching every seat. Like every huh. time I walk down, I keep touching yeah. all the seats because you're trying to balance and walk down. The, and like, that's what you normally do on a plane is you don't, yeah. doesn't really concern you that much to, to use them to keep your balance. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm touching all these seats and like, I'm going to wash my hands. But what if I was sick? And what if I gave it to like every single person on this plane? Because I touched the back of the head on their seat and like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard to stay that vigilant all the time. It's really exhausting. Um, yeah. And I have, and I think maybe I'm used to it because I, I have hypervigilance and like, I am vigilant all the time about mm -hmm. so many other things in my life. So it makes it easy for me to be like, well, no, that's this. And this is this. Um, but for, I can understand how for other people, it's just like, God, this is exhausting. I don't want to do this anymore. The thing is, it is exhausting, but you know, it's also important. I remember, you know, I, I get, I get stressed if I like, sometimes I have, I have options right now when I'm traveling, I could take a street car, I could take a bus mm -hmm. and the bus stresses me out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like a bus will pull up and there'd be so many people on it. And I'm like, I think I could wait another 15 minutes. Cause I, you know, I'm not getting on that bus. The thought of getting on that bus stresses me out. Yeah. I was on a couple of buses where I was like, oh, so nobody is actually controlling this. Like if people want to get on the bus, you don't stop them. Yeah. Which was scary to me. Um, I've only taken transit five five or six times during the pandemic mm. um so i've been very lucky in that regard but yeah it's i do not like <laughs> i do not like getting on the bus i imagine a streetcar has has much more space because it did before the pandemic yeah streetcar has more space i i i had this so you know i bubble with my girlfriend and you know um she's really the only other person i see mm -hmm. so um i would take the streetcar over there with the understanding that um, if the streetcar, if people got on the streetcar and it was too crowded, I'd get off. Or if people got on who weren't masked, I'd get off and wait for the streetcar. Yeah. But what ended up happening is I realized that for for quite a while there, if you like every TTC vehicle had one person who was who was wearing their mask wrong and one person who wasn't wearing a mask. Mm, yep. And so you couldn't win. If if one person got off, another one would replace them, guaranteed. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it was like this, like guaranteed one of one of each and there's no getting rid of them. Yeah, I would just uh, if if I knew I was going to be in transit with that person for less than 15 minutes, I'd be like, whatever, <laughs> you know. Yes. Um, but but if I was like, I have 10 more stops to go. Yeah, I like uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, I got a, I was late a lot because I had to get off the streetcar. I was yeah. like, everything took longer. But that's, the, that's better. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you did that, you know? Oh, so am I, because I'm. Your health, your health is more like, important. And that's. Exactly. And that's the, the, the struggle that we're having right now is people are not prioritizing health and not individuals. I'm talking about the governments and yeah. organizations. They're prioritizing profit over people's 
well-being and it's really really frustrating to watch it play out and um and to listen to all of the gaslighty things that they Mm. say about how essential it is that we keep certain things open um you know uh so my my partner works in the film industry and i i'm training in the film industry i'm hoping Mm -hmm. to work some more in that but the the film industry in toronto has been declared an essential service Mm mm-hmm and I have such mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, I'm really happy that so many people get to keep their jobs, yeah, that they have this stability in their lives. And especially because, um, you know, union work pays really well. And I don't think the CERB or the CRB was close to what people were earning before. No. So it probably wasn't sustainable for a lot of those people. But at the same time, I'm like, it's not an essential service. No, It's not worth people dying and so many film sets have had cases of covid mm-hmm. like so many that many of them have had outbreaks um because an outbreak is two or more cases but right. because they're not spreading very much within the film sets people are like oh it's fine but yeah. i think it just contributes to this attitude of complacency of this like well if i'm going out for work i can go out for other things or um if i'm going out for work and i'm working all day and I I'm exhausted when I come home I'm just gonna stop in at this restaurant and order some food and I'm not gonna wash my hands between going multiple places and yeah you know it, yeah. it all adds up so yeah so that's one of the struggles I've been feeling is I'm like I want I want everyone to have money but also I don't want you to leave your house and I wish we could yeah. just go back on the Serb I mean ideally also, you know, we're in Ontario, and the Ontario government is sitting on over $6 billion of, 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 of money that's supposed to be used for, you know, uh, 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 relief and, and, and COVID stuff, and they're not using it. And it's infuriating. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, I remember a couple of months ago, there was a huge push about supporting local restaurants. Mm-hmm. And... And I was like, why are we not, not that we shouldn't talk about local restaurants, but why are we doing full press conferences where Doug Ford is go, like going to someone's restaurant and being like, look at this hardworking family and we should support them instead of making some rules <laughs> that yeah. actually helped them. And, and there was no similar conference for any other industry. No. Um, there's very little discussion about the arts, which contributes a huge amount to the restaurant industry mm-hmm. because the the tradition is like you go out for a meal before or after going to see a play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I feel I have so many mixed feelings about about the way everybody's approaching it. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was very like, OK, well, nobody knows how to do this right. You know, like it's if somebody doesn't have a perfect response right away. I kind of can't blame them because this is Mm -hmm. like unknown territory. None of these politicians anticipated that they would be dealing with this, even if like maybe they should have, but there were, you know, things that were more pressing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was in Saskatchewan where the, uh, it's also a conservative government over there. Um, And, and I was very forgiving to be like, okay, well, if you don't do exactly the right move, you didn't know any better. And now mm. we're a year into the pandemic, and I'm like, when will you learn? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is the 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 
the correlation that like our numbers in Ontario, like numbers started to go up when CERM ended. Yeah. You know, whether or not that's the, that's, that is actually the causation we don't know, but like, that's a very interesting correlation. Yeah. And, uh, and there, I'm sure there are many, many, many contributing factors and it will take, and I'm sure people will be studying the year 2020 for decades and decades Mm -hmm. and just analyzing not, not just what happened with COVID and what happened with the economy, but like the birth of social movements and um, the engagement with digital infrastructure, um, other humanitarian issues that, um, that are becoming more prevalent in people's Mm -hmm. minds as we realize, you know, not everybody has high speed internet. Um, Mm -hmm. Many indigenous communities in Canada still don't have water. Yes. (laughs) So like, um, so I think we'll be studying 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. for for a, a long long time and there will be a wealth of information to delve into but it but living through it really sucks you know yeah yeah i i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to returning to some precedented times yeah. <laughs> yeah i'd like to know some peace that's my yes that's my goal is i just want to yeah. know some peace have um, an average day oh man you know where i I'm, can just walk to the store and like not worry about it yeah yeah i would like to um you know check in on my friends go over to their homes see their faces you know that kind of thing would be nice yeah being able to be inside with people when it's winter that'd be good yeah yeah i was thinking about like getting like a fire pit or something at one of the parks just being like we're gonna it's a warm spot but you gotta be cold getting here but maybe come over yeah yeah, it's um, hard to have no. Uh, also, because the theater was my gathering place, and I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know what what other gathering places there are, because that's what I would go to the theater, because yeah. I, that's my place, that's my home away from home, and now they're all closed. I can't mm-hmm. go there. Yeah, the the I mean, the I you know back to back to the digital stuff. You know, we don't even have a digital lobby. Yeah. You know, but when we see a show, there's no um, hum of the audience. There's no people having conversations. It's just like silence. There's like so many things that are missing about the whole Zoom thing. I think that number one, Zoom is not the right tool for the job, but. No, I mean, we miss all the connection. Yeah, I've gotten um, pretty good at using the chat feature to be <laughs> like a lobby kind of thing. Um, but it is there. There's just no comparison. There's mm-hmm. no comparison. I'm writing. Um, so I'm delivering a testimony uh, this coming weekend, which will have passed already by the time that this airs. But mm-hmm. um I'm writing a testimony about what a basic income would mean to me as an artist. And so mm. I'm going back through um, my 2019 because that's because that's how the government is measuring what kind of support they're giving is based on mm-hmm. what you earned in 2019. Right. So I'm going back through that and kind of um, reflecting on what life as an artist was like in that year and how the government support in the next year um helped or hindered me and then and then at the end i have this thing that i say where it's like you know 
all of these contracts. They didn't pay me enough. They weren't artistically fulfilling enough. They were stressful and, and exhausting, but it was worth it to be telling a story in a room full of people. Hmm. And I don't have that now. So hmm. I can really see how all of these other things are problems because I don't yeah. have the thing that's making me go, oh, yes, I want to do this forever. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like, is, is, and you know, there's the, the whole debate, like, is, is like virtual theater really theater? Um, no, but it's what we got. Yeah, it's like, I also don't, um, I don't appreciate when those think pieces are are about tearing down what somebody has built. Yes. As, as opposed to just, you know, you can have intellectual conversations about things, but, um, but I, I think there are some of those kind of think pieces where they, they get into this tone where it's like, yeah, but your work isn't real and your work isn't um, good enough. Or it's yeah. my work is superior because we did this before, or we did it different and better. And like mm-hmm. those kinds of attitudes I find really unproductive right now because we creative people need to create. Yeah. And when we're not creating, we're suffering. Like that's, that's why people make stuff is because it, not making stuff is so hard on yes. on you as a person. Yeah. So no, it's terrible. So the, if you're just going to tear somebody down for, for doing that within the circumstances of the universe, like that's just a waste of my energy and yours. And maybe you should get a better hobby. Yeah. No, <laughs> it, it is a terrible thing to do because I mean, and, and, you know, we've all seen those think pieces, which are just about how, yes, this digital theater thing is not real theater. You know, and it's not the theater we know, but it's all we have. So we should celebrate it, not tear it down for not being theater enough. Yeah. And it's not like it's trying to replace something. No. It's just that something isn't there. And the thing that you're complaining about is is the fact that that theater as we know it isn't there right now. And that's not the fault of any digital content creator. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I hoping because i've seen a couple of setups i know in in new brunswick the saint john theater company had like this they for their fringe festival and for some other stuff they had like a three camera setup in their Mm. theater they had a reduced audience so they had like a very small audience because it was the maritimes and but they also had the digital option they had three cameras set up and so they could you could get like a digital ticket and you could still watch the show and i i feel like that kind of thing Part of me really wants that to continue. Oh, for sure. Yes. You know, it's preferable to be in the, in the room, but if we were able to broadcast like that, not only would we be capturing the theatrical mood. So you'd Mm -hmm. be hearing the audience and all of that, but I could watch theater that's happening in Vancouver or, or Winnipeg or, or Edmonton or St. John. And, and I could see the amazing things that they're doing. And I'm in Toronto. Rather than this siloed, like, well, what we're doing here is the most important because it's what I see, you know, rather yeah. than, it would expand the our ability to share the work. And it would also make it possible for people who physically cannot get to the theater to see the theater and to enjoy it. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I hope that a lot of these digital supports continue. Mm. Um, I hope more people work from home in the future. Go, going to an office is kind of dumb. 
in my opinion. Um, maybe that's not the word I want to use. It's it's um, it's unproductive. <laughs> it's unnecessary in many ways. The only reason why a lot of places are insisting that you go into the office is because there's a boss who says, well, how do I know they're working? Yeah, it's because they want to monitor you. Um, which if you've yeah. ever worked in a in a retail or, or food service environment, like that's people are just on you all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. so it's actually very counterproductive. It does not make you good at your job. It makes you resentful and um, and intimidated. So you, yeah. you don't excel in your work because people are like, we're spying on you. All of your behavior is monitored 100 percent of the time and you're never allowed to display any weakness or displeasure. And you have to be happy 100 percent of the time. And it's mm -hmm. just not realistic um but one thing i was going to say about um incorporating more of this digital aspect into into the theater as we move forward is like it's also it's also a creative expression in itself mm -hmm. there because um theaters have done archival videos of their shows mm -hmm. for years and years and years because you know research purposes or if you want to restage something you might want to have a video reference but those are so boring like it's it's painful to watch archival videos because that's because they're shot like somebody put up a single camera in the back of the theater. Yeah, because they because they they knew they're not allowed to share these things. Yeah, so it's it's really like logistic, technical, whatever. And some people have interpreted that um, that doing an archival video is the same thing as doing like a digital presentation. And I think it needs to be recognized that like, no, there's work and craft and creativity in the way you film stage productions, because mm -hmm. there are moments where you're going to want to get closer to an actor and focus on them. And there are moments where you're going to want to see the entire set and see bits of the audience and see, you know, watch their shoulders rolling with laughter or, or just yeah. um, stay with their silence and hear the, the people who are sniffling or whatever it is, you know? Um, so it is really hard to, to accurately capture a good theater production. And, and I think that that is work that we should be supporting because it's not as simple as like, Oh, we'll set up a camera here and here and we'll just film it and blah, blah, blah. Like it's no, you have to think about what moment do you want to be where it's a, it's another layer of storytelling on top of the storytelling. Yeah, it is. It is completely doable though. I mean, you can do that. There, there's some really inexpensive like ways to, to, you know, set up a bunch of webcams and switch back and forth between oh, them. Yeah. So you actually have like somebody who's essentially you have your stage manager and then you have your your video stage manager and they're like operating the board and yeah. they're just like capturing all the moments. You know, yeah, it's I entirely think, doable and not that expensive. Yeah, I just think I worry that I guess I'm concerned that there are going to be theater companies who are like, oh well, this stage manager can just do that. And it's like, no, you have to recognize that that's a whole other um, brain process and it, it requires yes. attention and focus in a completely different way. And you can't just lump this onto a director or a stage manager or a lighting operator or something like <laughs> that yeah. has to be somebody's designated position. And if somebody wants to do both positions, I guess that's up to them to decide, but it can't just be dumped on a different position. No, and, and and you're absolutely right because that that'll just end up with like a bad production. But you know what'll happen is the is the the people who decide that they are going to designate somebody to do that, they're going to have a lot of success because their mm -hmm. their digital project will be high quality, and so that's where people will be like, oh, you know who's doing good work? This company. Yeah, and you can see the good work they're doing on stage. Or if you can't make it there, watch the watch the video feed. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and I think uh, also doing these digital um, things, it, it's only going to be a benefit because mm. there's still going to be a need to actually go to people live um, uh, eventually. Uh, like I, when I toured, I toured a puppet show in Saskatchewan and Alberta, and we went to a lot of remote communities um, mm. and reserves, uh, and many of them had never seen a live performance of any kind um Mm -hmm. uh perhaps other than dance performances um but so most of them referred to what we were doing as a movie so they would say like when does the movie start or um that kind of thing because that because they have no concept of like what a play is because it's never been seen so i think the need to go out and demonstrate live theater is always going to be there um but this digital infrastructure will allow people to see more stories and to understand different ways of doing things. And, and I think it can all work together and we, we don't have to choose. We can just be a bigger world. Yeah. I kind of feel like, like the digital, like seeing something in a digital fashion like that doesn't make me not want to see it live. Yeah. It makes me want to see it live more. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, whenever I've seen something that's like a filmed production, um i never think well i never have to see that again i'm like oh what would it be like to be in that room oh yeah i mean it makes me want to be there and you know we do that with movies we see movies multiple times oh yeah we we see it in the movie theater and then we buy it or or Mm -hmm. rent it or stream it illegally or whatever we do but like we want we pay for a streaming service so we can watch our favorite movies um and like you know, how much money did Disney Plus make in July because they had Hamilton on there? Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. And, and people would absolutely still go and see that in a theater. I would love to see it in a theater because you can feel that there's an energy. There's so much energy, and I I just want to be part of that exchange because because yeah. that's one thing about watching watching something digitally is that there is no exchange. Yeah, but um. But when you're in a theater, you might not feel like an active participant, but there'll be a moment maybe when you think, did that actor look right at me when they Mm -hmm. said that? Or when you uh, get to applaud at the end and you can and they and the performers bow and you feel like, oh, we're having an exchange and we're interacting together and we we created this experience, you know, like that's that's a feeling that's never going to be replaced by anything we try. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's one of those things that like, um, I think that I suspect that when this is all over, Mm -hmm. um, actors equity is going to not want video. Yeah. All of the indie theaters or a bunch of indie theaters or some indie theaters are going to experiment with video and, and digital tickets and they'll have success. And then that success will grow and will push equity to allow it. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what they'll say is this should be covered by ACTRA. Um, and then it will become a huge debate because that, that was one of the um, issues we had in um, presenting this digital theater festival in May was mm-hmm. there was um, because it was so early on, nobody knew what was the rules for anything. So there was a lot of like, this should go to ACTRA. No, it should go to CAEA. Well, no, this should go to ACTRA. No, and it's just like, um, I'm at a point with, um, with CAEA in particular, where I'm just like, you're getting in the way of the work. 
mm-hmm. and I don't want to spend my time on that. I'm not a member. I have no plans on ever becoming a member. Um, I'm actually working with an organization in Saskatchewan to try and come up with a different form of contract that's not CAEA affiliated um, that people can work under. Because because what we've seen is that people are not working under their contracts because they don't work. Um, Or if they do, they have to break a bunch of the rules and then everyone's just like, well, we're not going to tell anybody because then this company is going to be forced to go under, which is not the goal, right? So... So we're working to find a contract that protects people and creates good relationships between artists and companies mm-hmm. that isn't tied to this this CTA that is so complicated. Like, I've never read it. Um, I've talked about it a lot, but I've never read yeah. the whole thing. It's very long. Um, and, oh, I was reminded of something else. And now I've lost my, I've lost my point. I mean, the thing that you were saying about about the you know, if it gets to that point, it'll be like this argument between between CA and ACTRA. That's exactly what happened in the states. Oh, really? Equity and SAG-AFTRA were fighting over whether the video, like digitally produced videos, were falling under. Like they went to court. They fought hard. They eventually came to an agreement, but it's a temporary one, and it's very limited. It was like yeah, you can do the video only. I'm assuming yeah, pandemic only and. And you could only sell uh, as many tickets. I think it was like you're only allowed to sell, if you had 200 seats, you could sell 400 tickets to your digital production. <laughs> it was like so ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Um, I remember the thing I was going to say is that, um, you know, my my uh, my family are also artists and theater artists. And so my dad had a bunch of contracts. He was going to retire this year. And there was like a big announcement uh, about his retirement and um, all the shows he was going to do to wrap up his uh, relationships with a bunch of local companies. And then all of them got canceled. Um, But one of the companies came up with an alternative and they were like, here's, we can, you know, instead of just canceling your contract and paying you the two week buyout outright, why don't we give you two weeks of work? So you're, you're getting the same amount of money, but you get to do something. We'll do a little digital thing. And my dad was so excited by this idea and then CAEA was like no you're not allowed to do that we don't think this is in the interest of the performers and my dad was like hold on I am a performer and I want to do this job because I don't have anything else to do because it's a pandemic and I would prefer to work and keep my muscles sharp and like Mm. so that's that's the thing that really bothers me about the way this organization is structured is that I know that their purpose is to protect us but but if they're if they're dictating what we can and can't do in terms of um, work uh, uh, in that respect, it's like, no, that's a step too far. I, uh, as a self-employed person and an independent artist, I want to decide what work is right for me. I want you to set industry standards, yeah, and make sure that I'm physically safe. But um, but I want to decide, like, if I want to work in French in Saskatchewan, I can't be a member of CAEA. Mm. So. It's, it's, there's, I mean, the whole thing is like, you know, the, 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 the equity is there to protect the performer from the, from the producer who might exploit them. But that's when so many performers are also producers. Now it's like, wait a second. How do, how, like, am I exploiting myself here? (laughs) How are you protecting me from myself? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And uh I, I think people are 
smart. And and there's not there isn't a document in the world that you can make that will stop somebody who's a bad person from being a bad person. Mm-hmm. So if someone wants to take advantage of someone or exploit someone, they're going to do that regardless of what kind of document you write. Um, maybe it'll give you some legal protections down the line if someone pursues legal action against somebody, which I don't know how often that happens in the theater mm-hmm. and it would really mm-hmm. depend on the circumstances, but um, it just has become so large the the scope of it just doesn't make sense anymore and it doesn't apply to a lot of situations of theaters now yeah and i don't think canada is an easy place to have a federally regulated anything because every province has needs that are so unique that like it's you can't just dictate a one size fits all solution for any industry right yeah so it may be CAEA needs provincial chapters uh, that have like actually completely different contracts. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I I'm not going to try and fix that organization. I'm going to go build a thing that I like that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And not on my own. I'm going to be in my community with doing that. But Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, I mean, there's a lot of complicated, uh, complicated things. And I think that, you know, as when we start coming out of this pandemic and everybody, we, we have to look around at like what has made it through, mm. you know, which of our independent theaters has made it through, which of our professional theaters has made it through. And now where do we go from here? How do we rebuild this? How do we, how do we cr- start creating theater again? Um mm-hmm. I worry that, you know, sure, we're all worried about the restaurants and the small businesses. And, you know, the governments are going to be like, ah, yes, restaurants, small businesses. Let's make sure the stores reopen. Let's make sure that all this happens. And there won't be any theater. Yeah. Because there won't be the support for it. Because all of that, all that support will go. And, and, you know, it's a, yeah, I get it. Stores or small businesses, restaurants, all of that stuff. But if if this pandemic has showed us anything, is that when people are stressed, they turn to art. Oh yeah, like that's all that's all anybody wants to do, and that's why there are. I think I think there are thirty one projects that IATSE eight seven three is filming in Toronto right now. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many things going on to not support the arts, and and also like the you know the film industry isn't all art. There's also visual arts and literary yeah. arts and. Um, and theater of course and dance and music like live music venues have also been hit incredibly hard yes um i was filling out a survey today for the government which hilariously the save and continue button on that page doesn't work so they couldn't record my survey responses which was really annoying um but i was filling out this survey and i said uh you know what if there was a subsidy program where um, be- because I-, I anticipate that people won't want to sit in a theater for a long time, even if, you know, things are pretty safe and there's a really low risk of catching COVID or, or if you catch COVID getting sick from it or, you know, any of those things, I think mm-hmm. people will still feel squirrely about being in a large crowd for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what if there was a government program where they said we'll subsidize 50% of your ticket sales if you are at 80% capacity or less 
Yeah. Like we'll just, we'll match 50% or we'll give you 50%, whatever it is. Um, Cause that would ensure that small venues could, could have some income, even if they couldn't sell that many tickets. Uh, yeah. And then there would have to be a cap for large venues and, and commercial stuff. But you know, like there are, there are ways, there are things we can come up with that can make it better. And that's, that's been a real sticking point for me in the whole pandemic is I'm like, you know, all of this is made up, right? Like the concept of money is invented. We actually don't have to do any of this the way we do it. So like, like, especially uh, talking about landlords and and tenants, it's like, well, if the house is there, people can live in it. It doesn't actually matter if somebody's paying rent. Like, People can live there. It's fine. Why are we allowing anyone to be kicked out uh, at any point ever? Like, not just during the pandemic, but like, you know. Well, that comes down to, I mean, we we sort of, before getting started on this, we were talking a little bit about about, uh, uh, the UBI. Yeah. Or the, the concept of a universal basic income. And, you know, I think I've heard some people say, well, that would be too hard to administer. And I'm always like, how is it hard? Everybody gets the same amount. <laughs> yeah. Just like it's universal. Everybody gets the same amount for some people. You know, some, somebody is rich. It will mean nothing to them. Sure. Let them have it. But if someone is like lower middle class or, or poor, it would be life changing. Absolutely. Just give the same amount to everybody. Don't, don't be like, Oh, you have to apply for, it. we're going to do all this paperwork. It just goes to everyone. Yeah. And like, so I lived in France for two years and they have a basic income for the artist there. Mm. Um, And sure, it requires a lot of administration, but that's also because France likes a lot of administration and they're a very bureaucratic country. So they just set it up that way because that's how they do everything. But because they're so bureaucratic, they can now calculate everybody's taxes for them. So, Mm. so now, and this started the year that I left, so I never got to experience what this would be like, but um but yeah, because the government has all of the information about every employment you have, they will just send you what they think you owe and you mm-hmm. send them any corrections. So for independent artists, basically all you have to do is add up your expenses and be right. like, well, my expenses are this. Please deduct this on this line. And they'll go, OK, so what you owe or what we owe is now this. Yeah. But it's like a way more straightforward system because they have all of that um, data collected. Sure. Um, and to get the basic income there, you have to, because it's only for artists, you have right. to prove that you're working full time as an artist and that you don't have another job. So you have to work 507 hours in a year. And then for the next year, your income is guaranteed. So all mm. that means is you're going to get enough money to live every single month, whether you earn it yourself or the government gives it to you. So mm. they calculate like, like when my ex-boyfriend was on this, uh, it's called the intermittence. When he was on the intermittence, it was um, like 1300 euros was the minimum. So if he earned 800 that month, the government would just give him 500 and they just make mm. up the difference, um, which I think probably saves them a lot of money. Um, sure. Because then they don't have to just give 1300 to every single person. It does require more man hours. So if you know it might work out to be the same but like i i thought that was a pretty great system it's obviously not perfect um 
uh, one year, Gérard Depardieu actually collected the intermittence, and because yeah. it's based on your previous annual income as well, like they don't let you slip below a certain standard so that you can maintain your standard of living, right? Right. So it's like you get uh, a basic income. It's like it can't be lower than this. Um, but also, depending on your previous year, it can't be more than like 20% lower than what you were earning last year or something. So he mm. got like millions of euros from the government. Yeah. <laughs> and then, But then, you know, they realized the he realized the mistake and he gave all the money back right away. It was like, you know, right, one, right. Of, one of his uh, accountants had filled this out because it, legally it's possible. Yes. Um, yeah. But once he realized, he, of course, was like, no, I don't I don't need millions of euros from the government. Yeah. So not a perfect system. But no. there are ways to do it, and we can imagine ways to do it better. Um, we just have to think about it and yeah. put it in motion and, and make it a priority. And people have yeah. to care about it, which is the hard part. So that people that, is, don't the, that care. is the hard part. It is hard. And I think, I do think that, like, you know, in some ways, it's, it can be so much simpler than, like, and there don't need to be any forms. Yeah. Like, if you just decide that everybody gets a certain amount. Yeah. Just like the Serb, the Serb was yeah. so easy. was yeah. like, you go on the website and you make your declaration saying, yes, I, I qualify for this. And then they give you the money. Yeah. Yeah. It could even be simpler. Like you, if you have a social insurance number, you get this amount. Yeah. And it's the same for everybody. Nobody needs to apply for it. You just give it to them. And, and it is in addition to, you don't have anything like taken off because you're making a certain amount of money. It would raise the standard of living for everybody. Yeah. And that's what we need because, um, because minimum wage in Toronto should be between 22 and $25 an hour. Yeah. Like that's like, that's what you need to actually have a one bedroom apartment here. Yes. So it's. And yeah. yeah, and now I'm thinking about the ridiculousness of the CRB system. Yeah, well, and it makes me mad. Yeah, I can yeah can barely talk yeah. about it just because the the 50 percent income reduction requirement is so punitive on anybody who's poor. Right, because anyone yes. who lived paycheck to paycheck can't afford a five percent income reduction. Right, but they're like, we'll only support you if you've lost more than half your income. It's like, well. Yeah. I can't afford to live. Yes. So no. can and you help it, me? It's all so ridiculous. It's yeah. So punitive. It's so ridiculous. And it's life and death. I think there are a lot of people who don't think it's that serious, but it it really is life and death. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Just think, sort of thinking about some of this we were talking about a little earlier, mm-hmm. and one of the things that that you know we were, that there's the whole like the missing of that, that community that, you know, we're not going to the theater. We're not seeing people where there's, there's nothing, no, we're missing. We're lacking the connection that we used to have in the theater. Um, just sort of thinking about like, how does one manage to still find that when all we have is digital? Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know, is there some like, um, digital artist collective that can be formed where people get together and like support each other's work. And, and, and even if it's just like, we're making art of some kind tonight, everybody gather, everybody's getting together online, make your art. We're just in the room, something like that. The way that people would have like, 
if you ever did the National Novel Writing Month, they would have like yeah. write-ins where people go to like a, a restaurant or cafe and, and write together. Um, I yeah, know. I can get, well, I can give you two examples. So um, first one is a video game example. Uh, I, I'm i not super familiar with this, but um, my favorite video game YouTubers are Stephen and Mal. Mm-hmm. And they do a bunch of different Nintendo video game things usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and they recently did a fundraiser called Extra Life, which I guess they've been doing for nine years. But they just they just like stream video games uh, uh, to raise money for their local children's hospital. And then you like the you give a donation to vote for what game you want them to play next. So it's like sometimes they play like horrible, terrible games because people right. are like, haha, we want to see you do something excruciating. Um <laughs> But what they also do is they have the people watching the stream are making um, drawings, digital or pencil or whatever. They mm-hmm. they do little pieces of art about what they've just seen and then they submit them and then they have a couple minutes on the screen of like seeing people's little illustrations about um, uh, <laughs> when someone got really mad at, at a point in the game or when someone thought they were saying something smart and it was actually the wrong thing to say. And like it's really... That was a really interesting thing for me, whereas I, I was like, oh, here's a whole community that's on mm. Twitch and on YouTube that's making art together because they're mm. united in this purpose of, of raising money for this children's hospital. Mm. Um, and then another example is my parents in Saskatoon. There's a, a brand new outdoor theater space in Saskatoon for the Shakespeare on the Saskatchewan Festival site. And this summer was supposed to be their big launch of the new space. And uh, it was my dad's retirement and he was going to play Prospero in the Tempest. And it was like a big deal. And of course, all got canceled. Mm -hmm. Even though it was an outdoor venue in the summer, it just wasn't going to be feasible to have a large cast and to have enough audience members to make it financially viable. So now what my parents do is they is they go down to the to the site and my dad shovels. He shovels the the stairs uh, in the amphitheater. And then he'll just practice reading a poem uh, mm. from the stage. And and so uh, I think my parents a couple of times have like invited another person or two people to do a poem reading. And then my mom streams it to Facebook Live. Mm. Or they invite some people to come watch. And, and I think a lot of people have found that really beneficial. Because um, it's just small. It's just, you know, it's five minutes of somebody reading a poem, but mm. I think I think that's had a lot of meaning for people and and you can gather digitally or you can gather physically because that space is so huge. It's quite easy to be distant when you're outside. And like it's cold though, so nobody wants to. Yeah. Well. To, it's like minus forty. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, my my parents have both and we we all did this as well uh when I was there. We like did a little backyard show for 12 of our family members and just trying to do little things uh has been really helpful and not not trying to do a full-on production every time but just trying to make something yeah i think that's i think that's the only that's the amount of energy that i can handle personally right now absolutely because i find that i just want to sleep all the time (laughs) Yeah. yeah yeah there's that um, just in closing, one of the things that I've been asking everybody over the course of since March, so I guess a year now, is um, in terms of, of, you know, getting through this this pandemic and getting through every day and everything else that's going on, um, 
we need to be able to, to find the joy or some joy in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. So for you, what has been giving you joy? Well, when I moved to live on my own in October, I was then able to start fostering cats. And I love cats. I've always loved cats. Um, and some of the fosters that I take in are in really rough shape and some of them are totally fine. It's been really variable, but it's so rewarding and joyful to watch a cat learn how to be a cat. And like, um, so I have a, 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 a little brown tabby boy right now. His name's Bailey and he is terrified and he's not just terrified. He's very angry. So he constantly, hisses at me and lashes out if I move too quickly or if I pet him in the wrong spot or whatever. But he mm. does let me pet him, which is kind of amazing. It's like it's like when you first approach him, he'll be like, no, I hate everything. And then when you go, it's fine. I'm just going to pet you. He's like, oh, okay. I love pets. Um, <laughs> so he's very silly. Um, he got trapped in a wall on Saturday and on Sunday, we had to get him out, and he bit me, and now I have to go get a tetanus booster, and like, <laughs> this whole thing. But um, but yesterday, he ate food mm. while I was petting him, and I cried, because I was like, <laughs> I'm so proud of you! And it's also easier for me to feel happy about that, because I feel like it's their accomplishment. And right. so I find it so much easier to boost up people who are not myself, so seeing seeing a cat learn how to play and how to eat and how to relax like watching watching bailey's muscles unlock after Mm. me sitting in a room with him for 15 minutes is like Mm. wow so Mm. if anyone is interested in fostering cats i foster through um ava toronto which is action volunteers for animals i think is what it stands for and you can just go on their website i signed up completely digitally to foster um adoptions are also being done completely digitally um, and I meet with, uh, with potential adopters on FaceTime and, and I show them the cats and we just talk about the cat for an hour and then they can decide if they want to adopt them. Mm. So I'm assuming Bailey will still be with me when, uh, <laughs> when, um, this airs because he needs, uh, a lot of love and care. But if anyone wants to adopt him, you can go to AVA and look at their Instagram page and they have posts of all of the adoptable cats. That's great. What's Lauren, bringing thank you, you joy? So much. Oh, what's you bringing have, me joy? You have to tell me yours now, too. I have to tell you. Uh, right now, um, um, it's it's about to be, uh, for the next little while, um, setting up a new apartment. Yeah. Um, which is a new and wonderful thing. Uh, you know, being able to do that. But also, I'm sort of working on a, a new... Uh, uh, audio drama uh, for next Christmas, so it's going to be. Ooh, like, uh, is it a sequel or is it a new story? Um, they are ultimately going to be connected because I have in my mind that it's a three-part gotcha Christmas story. Um, so but it's I like don't a think it will. It's like yeah, a I don't think it'll universe experience. Yeah, it'll come out. I think by the time you get to the third one, it'll make sense how they're connected, but. Um, so it's not a sequel, it's a separate story, but it's connected. Gotcha. I love that. Yeah. 
So that's that's what's bringing me joy is 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 trying to 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 create that. And you get to think about Christmas all year round, and Christmas is the best. It it is also because I I delve into a lot of the 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 early origins of it. Um, there's a lot of fascinating dark shit. Oh, so. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Lauren, thank you so much for, for this conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, thanks for having me again. <laughs>